First of all, something really important that I need to get out of the way. Luke Perry is a yes man. I gave him about two hours notice. Because honestly, it's a lot of stuff we talk about. And I kind of like when it seems real. Like you have to think about what you're saying as you're saying it. I know he's had to tell this story to a few people a number of times. He uh, he was a brave, brave dude coming onto a podcast, sharing all the stuff that he's been through and sharing the things that have a lot of meaning to him, sharing about uh, his favorite favorite things that he enjoys doing with friends, stuff like that. Um, I think if you're listening to this, you already know that you're in for a treat. So thank you and enjoy. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. All right, so welcome to episode 66 of the Lifestyle Chase. Here I am joined by the one and only Luke Perry. How are you doing today? Very well, Chris. Thanks. So I have a question for you. I have an answer. What did you have for supper today? For supper today, to be completely honest, well, that's embarrassing. I had two McDoubles and uh, Oreo McFlurry uh, score added. I can get on board with that. <laughs> if uh, if you have to explain your why for choosing those things, and everybody should have some kind of a why, what's your why? Well, uh, the situation worked out really nicely to have that. I had just met with, uh, it was meet the teacher night at my son's school, and um, I didn't really plan for it, but then he just kind of came away from his mom. He said, can we go for ice cream? So I'm like, well, you don't really say no to such a request. So uh, their normal ice cream place was closed. We went to McDonald's, and I was uh, also hungry, like, for things other than ice cream. So Totally. McDoubles are cheap. McDoubles are good. Yeah. High, <laughs> high protein, so. Low-grade protein, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So in the last seven days, what's a moment that brought you closest to joy? Closest to joy? Well, um, I would say... I had a I had a pretty serious uh, thing happen last week, and uh, the follow up to that was absolute thankful and and uh, gratefulness. Closest thing I could probably describe to being thankful and joyful. So you're sitting in a place where like you're not taking anything for granted right now. Like, that, it's that's just, yeah. That's been like the course of most situations for you, hey? Yeah, I, I tend to take a fairly positive outlook on a lot of things. Um, I believe that percep your perception is your reality. So if you have a crappy perception, that's, you know, there's no hope of having anything good. And yeah, that's the way I believe. I can get on board with that. So um, I'm going to give some context to our listeners who might not know your story, but I'm going to do it in a sneaky, sneaky way. So 10 years ago, what was life like? 10 years ago. So I'm 27. I was 17. Uh, I had been probably about six months of living on my own in my own apartment while I was in grade 12, grade, grade 11. Damn. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. So like, what, what led to that? Well, um, I grew up uh, in the foster care system. I had some, uh, my mom was hit by a car when she was 12. 
and she was very she had pretty severe brain damage and having children and the stress of like adapting to situations with children was not a good thing for her um, so my brother and I we grew up in care and basically when you're kind of growing up in care if you're about 15 16 there's one of two ways you generally are going you're gonna kind of be going in school doing reasonably well or you're gonna be kind of on the path to maybe going to jail or doing some criminal activity and so if you're on the the path of going to school they it's cheaper for them to set you up in your own apartment and give you a very minimal living allowance uh, and expect you to maintain an attendance at school and so that's uh, kind of how I found myself in that situation so did everything go as planned well um, in the long run I would say things are working out fairly good um, there's definitely some bumps along the way absolutely okay um, let's take our time machine and go back like 15 years okay I was that would have been I don't know, 13 years old and I was in uh, I was just in care going through foster homes and, and group homes not really staying in one place for more than six months or so okay uh, in that period of time, just I'm, I'm trying to like figure out what sort of what's shaped a lot of things in your life, like what makes you you. So we have like a five year period, and who were the most influential people between like the 15 years ago and the 10 years ago? Like what what made you make your decisions in life? What influenced you? What inspired you during that time? Well, my grandparents played a huge role in my life because my mom was, uh, after my brother and I were taken from her, she kind of disappeared. Um, and my, her parents, uh, so my grandparents on the maternal side, tend, uh, they played a pretty big role in our lives. Um, they, were, they were huge. They were a portion of stability for me in that time. And I think children need a portion, they need a lot of stability. And if you don't have that, that can, that can lead to a variety of issues that... Uh, just a variety of issues, and they were they were really a good pillar for for me in that whole period of time. I like that. What stood out to you about them? Like, what qualities did they have, or like happy memories? Well, actually, it was my grandpa. I I um, give credit to for getting me into exercise. So when I was like six years old, he was training for triathlons. He was in his late forties, and they live in uh, Twin Brooks, which is an, uh, an area in Edmonton that has a nice little walking trail all the way around it. And he would run in the walking trails, and I would get up at 6 or 7 in the morning and ride my bike with him. And so we'd do, you know, 5 or 6 kilometer bike rides for me and runs for him. And that was, uh, I really enjoyed that. We would chat, and we would go swimming, and we would hang out and do stuff like that. And a, a big, big portion of why I stayed active over the years was because of that initial foundation with him. And my grandmas, they're both bomb cooks. So they always made homemade food where I was often eating things like Chef Boyardee or Kraft Dinner at home. Um, and I use home with quotations. Um, so that's those are two big, big things with them. I like that. And I like talking about the exercise because, like, in your social media, you talk about, like, implementing exercise for, for kids and in their, like, adolescence and, like, making it a normal thing, making it fun, obstacle courses, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what, what inspires you or what motivates you to be so, like, diligent in that? Well, I think it's a few things. I mean, I'm diligent at getting human beings to exercise, um, but with my own son now, it seems to me that uh, exercise has held such a positive thing in my life for so many different reasons. And um, I didn't really have much guidance like that growing up outside of my grandpa. So I want to make sure that, um, I just want to normalize it for, for my son, Logan. Um, if he can just, the gym is just a normal thing 
where it's like, you know, what do you mean we're not going to the gym instead of uh, we have to go to the gym? Yeah. Um, I want to build that from a young age, and then as he grows, he can specialize his interests and find fun in that, but I'm at least directing him towards a path that no matter what is going to lead to betterment of himself somehow. I like that. Um, so, how old is your son? He's seven. Okay. So, we go back seven years, that puts you at, like, 20? Yeah, I was 19 in my first year at Nate uh, PFT school. Damn, man, like, there's got to be a story to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I got a, I had a one-night stand one time, and I seen the girl about four months later, and, um, we were, we were hanging out again, and I was, I was thinking to myself, like, obviously I wouldn't say such a thing, but it, it definitely a thought occurred in my head, I'm like, she seems like she's put on a little bit of weight, um, uh, like, I wonder what's going on, and after, so that was four or five months after the initial point of contact, and then about a week after that, she texts me on a Sunday, and she's like, hey, we need to talk, and of course, you know, you're like, well, we're not dating, so what can that possibly mean? Um, I gave her a call and she's like, yeah, so I've been feeling kind of sick for the last little while. I've gained some weight. I don't really know why. And, and I just finished her sentence for her. I was like, yeah, and you're pregnant. She's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's mine. She's like, yeah. And I didn't, this, this girl wasn't promiscuous in a sense. And I didn't really have any reason to suspect that it wouldn't have been my child. So I didn't even really bother with that too much. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, he was born on the reading week of my first year at Nate. That's crazy. Yeah. What was your, like, initial thought? Well, I always actually joked at the time when I was younger, uh, before the name Luke Perry really stuck, um, I joked, I said if I ever had gotten a girl pregnant when I was a young teenager, I said I was going to move to BC and call myself Luke Perry. But uh, when it actually happened, and I, the day or two later as it set in, I just, I thought about my parents and, um, you know, my old man's never really been around in, a, in the parent sense, and I just, I couldn't be the reason that another kid grows up without a father. And so I just, I made a decision to, to make sure I was going to be the father for this yeah. child. I like that. It's admirable. And like the, the interesting thing is it's kind of like a parallel universe situation we got here. I'm 27. My life went very differently. And so it's easy for me to kind of be like, holy shit. Like my life didn't have to be the way my life went. It could be like the way his life went and vice versa. It mm-hmm. teaches empathy just to be able to like sit down with somebody who's doing the exact same job, like the same like day-to-day stuff now, similar day-to-day stuff now. Like obviously mm-hmm. I don't have like the same family that you have, but we have the same, like we're working with our clients and we're finding our meal and we're tight for time. We're having our McDoubles from time to time. You gotta live mm-hmm. a little bit. You gotta eat. <laughs> we both like ice cream. Yes. But it's just, like, how often do people stop and think, okay, I got to put myself in the, this other person's shoes. Like, we're often like, me, 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 woe is me, right? Yeah, empathy can be a hard thing. It's it's definitely something I've um, both struggled with and developed over the years. And a lot of people, you can just, you can kind of go day to day and be so focused on your own little world that you don't really give yourself the time to, to give a shit about anybody else. And the, the crazy thing is we haven't we haven't dropped nearly as many bombs as we could with this episode so far. So I just I want to give the listeners a bit more context. I'm trying to map it out. Uh, we went back ten years. Yeah. So living on your own, did you have anything coming up with your health at that point, or were you healthy? Uh, so this can actually be added to the fifteen year mark. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was thirteen years old, going through the group homes and stuff. Um, I was also taking uh, a pill called Dexedrine, which is a pill for ADHD to help me focus. 
and with that came monthly blood work. Um, and now I pieced all this together after the fact, but at the time um, I was having some monthly blood work done and then all of a sudden I found myself going to a number of different doctor's appointments kind of within the same three or four month period. And I, I really, I don't know why I didn't think anything of it, but I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, oh, I haven't uh, really been in one place for a while. They're just making sure my body works and everything. I didn't really think anything of it. Uh, and then I was sat down at the University of Alberta Hospital when I was 13 years old and I was told that I had uh, stage three chronic renal failure with uh, a kidney function at about 43% at that time. So how old were you then? Uh, that was 13. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was told that at that time and um, really there was no immediate effects on my life. Like I was still a completely normal. I didn't have to adjust my diet. I didn't have to take any extra medication. Um, but they told me that it was going to progress over the years and eventually there was no way to tell when uh, at some point I would need a transplant. Um, so that was pretty big, pretty heavy news for a 13 year old. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I remember sitting there with tears in my eyes wondering and, and, uh, that was, that was a big kind of turning point, I guess, cause that constantly also made me focus on, or at least have in the back of my mind, my health with like any life decisions, you know, in the later years, maybe experimenting with drugs after school and stuff like that. Like it was always, my health is always a priority. So it was almost a blessing in disguise in so, a small sense. Like... As life unfolded, you just get this news, you're 13 years old, you're working through the foster care system, all that stuff, like, what do you do when you hear bad news? Because I know when I hear bad news, like, I'm, I gotta tell somebody, I gotta, I need somebody to vent to, what was your situation like? Well, at the time, um, I don't think I was really at the point of sharing yet, I was still very closed, very protected, uh, because the, the simple defense mechanism of, well, if I'm not going to be in this place for very long, what's the point of creating a relationship? Um, so at the time, I don't really know what, uh, I was probably just acting out, misbehaving, getting myself into trouble because I was unable to express how I was actually feeling or articulate my emotions at the time. So what kind of trouble? Mm -hmm. What kind of trouble? Um, well, I mean, I was doing things like, I mean, I was getting into smoking weed when I was younger. I was doing things with, um, kind of, you know, going around back alleys and trying to pop open door handles of cars and stuff. Nothing like very violent or, or gang-like, but just like mischievous kind of kid sort of crimes, I guess. And like, honestly, like painting the picture, I don't think there's a single person that couldn't be like, oh yeah, you know, like, that's a lot of trauma to go through. <laughs> I don't know how I would handle that. So I can't, like, you can't be like, man, what a bad human. Like, it's just like, you're coping. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What, what would anybody else do in that situation? I, I can't imagine. I don't know what I would do, but I'm sure I wouldn't be like a complete angel just right, like right. going through all this shock and stuff. Honestly, I think it probably makes you, equips you to relate to more people. That, I believe that. That need help. I believe that. So what was the pivotal moment where you needed to have something done for your, your kidneys? Um, well, I was, so this was, we're going to fast forward or rewind to... Uh, 2016, 2017, um, my kidney function had come down to about uh, just below 20%. And I was still feeling pretty reasonable. Um, I'd kept myself obviously in, in a much better physical shape than a lot of people with that going on. Um, and it just, it started to be at the point where I would start cramping. That was the one thing I noticed really, that really affected me. I would get these weird muscle cramps. Um, like for one, I was brushing my teeth one time 
And so this the muscle here, the brachioradialis, just locked up. And I dropped my arm, but my, my hand just kept there, my toothbrush up by my mouth as if I was like flexing my arm. And I, for about 30 seconds, it just kind of sit, I was totally relaxed, but the muscle wasn't. And then eventually my arm just fell to the side. And um, things like working out, I was like, if I'm doing chest, my chest would start cramping within 15 minutes of my workout. Um, and then I would need like a nine hour sleep. And I would also need, not want, but need an, like an hour or two nap in the middle of the day. And uh, so that was when it really started to like, I was starting to actually feel the effects of it for the first time. So I thought. So what were your thoughts then? Like, what were you, what was your reaction? Well, it was it was mixed. I was uh, I was dating someone at the time who was incredibly supportive, um, who really helped me through that. But it was definitely a mixed feelings, because I've been through a lot of shit in my life, and I tend to have a positive outlook on things. I'm always thinking it could be worse or this or that. Um, and it was it was when I started dialysis. It was November of two thousand eighteen. No. 2017, 2017, I started dialysis and that was, that was like a really tough thing to do. You know, I was 25 years old, 26 years old. I had a six pack. I was in great shape, but I was sitting next to these people in a hospital bed that were practically dead. And I was plugging in 15 gauge needles into my arm. Um, and for anybody who's familiar, that's, that's like almost the size of a pen. Uh, and you know, that, that got, that took me that took pretty hard because I, I had the desire to keep my fitness up. I had the desire to keep helping people and working, but my, my body and my brain, like I was so foggy. I couldn't think straight, couldn't focus, tired all the time. Like it just, I didn't have the ability to do, to match my desire. Yeah. And that, that was really tough. Yeah. So like what happens when you're, because you were in the fitness industry at that point, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So you work in the fitness industry, which is a never ending hassle. It's, not really the most straightforward way to make an income for most people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you have this like health problem come up like what what do you do how do you navigate that yeah so i was working for a commercial facility here in town at the time and um this it was it's a big company employs a lot of people and essentially when i got sick i felt like it was just you know i just became a number that was no longer i went from a trainer that was bringing in six figures a year of revenue for this company um to you know, to, when I wasn't really working and I, the treatment changed as well. Like it, it matched kind of, I was getting treated really well and I was doing well. And then they really didn't care. They withheld a paycheck for like six months. Um, and I was on medical leave from my doctor. So that was tough. I ended up getting on to, um, uh, some government assistance for the situation because I was on, on what's called, um, life sustaining therapy because I needed to devote 15 hours a week to plug myself into this machine in order just to exist. So that was able to keep me alive. Um, I have an Aunt Helen who lives out in Victoria, bless her soul, who um, has a fair bit of money and she's she's helped me out a little bit here and there over the over the last few years and that's been incredibly helpful as well when things have gotten really tough. Yeah. Because um, I was, you know, I was able to, I, I also knew I didn't want to overwork myself because I knew that I wasn't, wasn't running at capacity but I didn't know where that line was and I didn't want to have people I was responsible for and make mistakes and find out that way. Mm -hmm. You know, so. So were you able to work at all or did you have to stay away from work well, altogether? Uh, so it was tough because a lot of the trainers that I know that have done their thing to, from whatever commercial facility to evolve, have been, have managed to take a fair bit of their clients with them, not, not stealing them from the gym for a sense, but they were, they were still working, they were busy, they were able to make a smooth transition. I didn't really work much at all for about six months and then I incorporated my business and jumped into evolve. And uh, so that was, uh, I was just almost starting from ground zero again, and that's been tough even to now. I'm still feeling the effects of that. Uh, but, you know, that, that is 
minor in comparison to other obstacles, so that's something I'm able to keep a positive mindset about. Totally. Um, when you've been making your income as a trainer, like, have you ever had to do like a side hustle? Like, I'll give you an example. I worked at Central for a year. That was a solid side hustle. Have you ever had anything like that, or has it always just been training, training, training? Well, recently I've had a couple of side hustles. Uh, the less important one that was actually paying me more money was delivering pizzas, nice. um, which was a nice little job. But more importantly, I've actually got myself involved with a study at the University of Alberta Hospital. Um, so I was volunteering at first, and the study was for people who have between 15 and 45% uh, kidney function. And they're going to be put through a very simple eight-week exercise program. And the outcome is uh, measuring ambulatory systolic blood pressure and resting heart rate or something along those lines. It sounds a little bit more intelligent than what I just said. Um, and anyway, I was volunteering for the first few months. And then I think the doctor, the nephrologist that I was working for, um, messaged me one day. And I think she found some grant money because she was like, well, I've heard you've been doing really well, this and that. Uh, we'd like to start paying you. And I'm like, yeah, money sounds good. I'm, you know, <laughs> sure. I'm already giving my time to you for free. So, um, so now I'm I'm on with the uh, Department of Medicine at the University of Alberta Hospital as an exercise trainer. Um, so that's that's a really neat opportunity to work with a very niche population that I have. I'm probably the best person in the city suited to work with. Yeah, I will not dispute that. <laughs> I don't know anybody else that could relate to that level. So, what does that entail, like? Take us um, through the job description. So I'm not, uh, I'm simply just the exercise trainer. So I, I'm just, they have an exercise protocol that they follow and I just kind of take them through it. So it's a training session. Uh, the training is very, very light. Like we're talking 30 to 60 second isometric holds. Uh, so things like maybe a seated single leg knee extension and you hold that for a minute. Um, so I do a warm up with them. You know, I greet them. I ask them if they've had any medication changes or doctor's visits and talk to them a little bit about this or that. Uh, they strap on a heart rate monitor. We do a little bit of mobility warm-ups, um, and then we do some exercises, and then they do progressing rates of cardio, so five minutes ideally every week, um, increasing and measure heart rates, RPE, stuff like that, and then chat with them, stretch, send them home. I like it. What is, out of the clients that you're working with in that space, what is something that kind of has stuck with you in that experience? Because I feel like they're coming from different backgrounds, you got other things they're working with, and it might have changed how you see things. Well, it's kind of just reinforced a belief of mine that uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out a way to do this. Uh, the older generation, I really do believe, um, is uninformed in, in what movement and what biomechanics and can do for people. Uh, because there's these people that just, you know, their knee is, they have a bum knee, so they say, right? Or, or their legs bow or this or that. And they just, th that's it. That's that's how they are. That's, that's what they have to deal with. And they have to take these pills. And, and that's just kind of the way that life is. And it's, it bothers me because I just, I know that that's not the case. Maybe some of these guys, sure, they, they, you know, they have maybe a couple years left of life. Like in all honesty, what quality of life improvements can we give them? But for the most part, I think most people can be, can be helped um, just through a little bit of simple movement with supervised by someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And, um, and that's just as reinforcing that belief for me. And I want to, I've been trying to talk to a few of them and say, Hey, if you're, finishing this up, you know, because all these guys from holding their legs out for 60 seconds once a week are like, oh my goodness, you should see how much better I'm feeling. I can reach for the cupboard. I can do this. I can do that. And I was like, if you, if you want to keep building on that, just like, give me a call. I'd be very happy to, to kind of keep going with you. Yeah. So. And it's, well, it's just like movement in general, because like people, 
people need that feeling of community or that feeling of connection and sometimes you could be that main connection or that main like support system yeah and like imagine if just the simplest movements make the biggest impact in their day Absolutely. and then imagine if that led into even bigger things and even bigger things like we get so many clients that come into the gym saying well i can't do this because of the age and it's like well thank goodness that the 90 year old is there doing 20 reps of pull-ups because now we can point over there like mm -hmm. have you ever had situations like that where you had a client that was i can't do this and then somebody else was literally doing it yeah older or something like that. well actually i have a client that is that older woman excellent and and she she constantly surprises herself even and <laughs> I, I love it it just it makes me giggle and smile on the inside so <laughs> what's the coolest thing that she has done um so she has done recently she's done band pull-ups um unassisted by me and this is a 62 year old woman who uh, came to me about a year ago with pretty bad uh, nerve impingement at her C7 and she has some tinglys all down her hand and very very atrophied tricep on the one side and and uh, painful to walk painful to move and and now she's she did these pull-ups and it's not related to the tricep but you know you better believe there was no way she was doing that a year ago and she like gave me a big sweaty hug and was so happy about it and it's uh it's really nice to see that that's the joys of the job that's it so I imagine well I mean Okay, we're going to exclude the obstacle that happened yes or last week. Okay. I want to know like two more obstacles. Okay. But you you must have two more obstacles. Two more obstacles. Well, um, so besides growing up, uh, well, I got evicted from my first couple of apartments because I was a sixteen or seventeen year old with the independence of somebody older. Um, so just various different things like, um, you know, loud music or broke a window or, you know, who knows what, um, left me finding, you know, with a 14 day eviction notice. So I needed to find a new place to live within two weeks. And at 17 years old, you also don't have the damage deposit just kind of hanging out in the bank account ready to go. So I had to scramble a few times and, uh. I, uh, um, my uncle Dale, who's a physiotherapist, is thinking about moving up to Edmonton, and he was asking me if I could help him find a place. And I told him, Dale, like, you're talking to the master of, like, finding places on Kijiji on short notice. Like, that's definitely something I could help you out with. <laughs> that's funny. Um, number two, I don't know. I mean, the, so we have to leave the kidney failure thing out entirely. Like, that whole, ish, the whole thing, or... The transplant itself, we didn't even talk about that. Oh, well, we didn't I'm... get there. We'll get there. Okay. I, I wanted to think of something else something outside else. of that. Something else outside of that. Um, well, I think just being able to come to terms with um, kind of my parents, what what's respectively each one is a very separate issue, um, but just kind of coming to terms with that's what it is and that's how they are and uh, moving on from it and stopping it letting affect kind of my decisions day to day was pretty huge what's what's how do you do that like i'm not trying to be like ignorant but if i put myself in your shoes and if i'm trying to like because that would affect everything that i do mm -hmm. every choice that i make every thought that i have mm -hmm. and i would struggle and i imagine that you would probably have times when it's like, shit, man, like, why me? So, like, what, what's your way to see positive? Because you're a pretty positive dude, all things considered. Yeah. Turn the alarm off. 
Um, so, can you just run through that one more time? Okay, so having to navigate the different family dynamics and all that stuff, how do you stay positive when, when it just kind of feels like shit didn't go your way, you know? Well, one of the things I'm forever thankful for is, and I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this, is I'm really smart. Um, I've always, I've always been able to really think about things. Um, the, the problem with me has been impulsivity, so it may appear that I'm dumb, but I'm actually, I have a really good brain and I've always been able to really think about things and internalize them. Um, and I've spent, I spent a fair bit of my, my youth, uh, seeing a therapist and just spending time with them. I've learned, you know, a lot about the subconscious mind, about my own subconscious mind and about kind of how others may it leads me pretty to make good educated guesses sometimes about how why people are doing certain things and ultimately I realized that it doesn't matter where like nobody gives a shit about you like it does nobody cares that my parents were what happened to them um, if I want to make it in this world and I want to be successful and I want to be able to expand my reach and help more people which is what I ultimately want to do um, nobody's gonna care about that stuff and if I let that stuff affect my decision-making then it's it's not gonna help me and every decision that I need to make, instead of thinking about that, needs to be somehow to try to avert stress in the future, opposed to just kind of making decisions based on emotion. Nailed it. That was a good answer. <laughs> well, it's just, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of things going on in their life, and they're like, what will Billy and Timmy and Susie think? But Billy and Timmy and Susie aren't thinking about our stuff and so the statement of nobody cares like we have to like we have to deliver that in such a way that people receive it properly okay yeah. so i mean like it's just because somebody will say that and somebody will be like nobody cares about me like yeah. people care like i care about you you care about yes me. yes but then when i'm like what will i have for lunch i would really like a mcdouble but what will luke think right you're not really like it's you're not invested in those parts of me and like no. maybe the food analogy was a little bit loose it works it works it works yeah it's kind of like i've used all kinds of analogies on I love the analogies. podcast but it's just <laughs> but i think that's important and i think you're the best case ontario to <laughs> do you ever watch trailer park boys of course, of there course. we go good yeah. good thank goodness <laughs> You're the best case scenario to, to allude to the fact that sometimes we have to put all of our other things aside and focus on what we can do to reduce the obstacles or reduce the inconvenience or just make mm -hmm. things a little bit better. And I'm not trying to say that I'm the master at that, but that's something that I try to keep in my mind for sure. Well, I think you're, you're on a good track. You got the right idea. Um, we're able to talk about seeing a therapist because that's a very real thing and mm -hmm. it's something that like nobody should ever feel ashamed if they have to seek out anything that helps with their mental health yeah no I, do, I, agree. I agree and I think it's important to include that into a podcast because then people hear two personal trainers talking about it yes in a very mature and like eloquent way yeah because, I think if yeah. someone has if you're seeing someone, if you're if you're trying to take care of your mental health and you have somebody in your life that's passing negative judgment on you for that, that's one of those situations that I think someone's either helping you or hurting you. And if they're hurting you, that you don't need them around. Totally. Have you ever had somebody like that around you? Not to do with the mental health thing. No, okay. I've um, 
but definitely I've I've had to remove a fair share of people out of my life because they haven't been helping me. Oh, yeah, like, we don't even need to dive down all the rabbit holes. Like, it can kind of go without saying, like, a life like yours is going to have a lot of different people to filter through. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you've made it this far, you've done a pretty good job filtering. Who in your training career has really, like, helped you level up versus being held back? Well, most recently, um, in the last three or four years, absolutely, my uh, my cousin Dale, uh, Dale Dice is his name, he owns Perfect Rehabilitation and the Complete Core down in Medicine Hat. He's um, He's been a physiotherapist since two years before I was born. So just the, the sheer experience that he has, and he, he's the type of guy that can just kind of look at you and he'll go, okay, Chris, so if you cock your head to the left and you touch your knee with your right hand, you get a pain in your left shoulder. And then you'll do that, and sure enough, you'll, that pain will happen, and then he'll do some work with you, and then that won't hurt anymore. And he's just, he's so smart that I just, I hope to be half as good as he is one day. Um, recently, that was definitely my most uh, influential person, kind of as a mentor. Yeah. Um, back when I first started working at World Health, it was my, or at a commercial facility in Edmonton, <laughs> my very first mentor uh, was probably Andrew Coates. Uh, he, he was taking on a lot of the younger trainers at the time and showing them kind of the ropes and uh, he, he taught me a few key things that I still use today like the cost benefit analysis and the risk reward analysis that's two of the things that have stuck with me over the years and I use those daily I like it as far as continuing education goes we all pick our poison like we all kind of have the stuff that we want to learn more about or the stuff that we really enjoy and it can be like a very small book it can be like a big thing that you went to or an expensive course or cheap course or a one-day conversation what's something that stood out to you that was like wow I see things so differently now um when I was at Nate uh I one of the instructors by the name of Lorraine Glass she does the corrective exercise course and for me I was uh, I was never even at the younger age I was never really an athlete uh, I didn't want to bodybuild per se I, I didn't really powerlifting, CrossFit, none of these Olympic barbell sports kind of uh, had draw to me and I, I really took to like to corrective exercise. Um, and right off the bat, when, before I was even certified, I was just working out with this guy at World Health and I had helped him with his shoulders and he was a welder and he told me that uh, one day he was like, I haven't had to take my Tylenol 3s in two weeks and I haven't had pain at work and I just wanted to thank you. And, and I was overwhelmed with, with such a feeling of, of joy that I was like, wow, this is amazing, like this is what I can do. And ever since then, I've definitely been down that kind of corrective exercise rehabilitation path for sure. I like it. So that's, you'd say that's like the thing that you enjoy most about, about the training aspect is, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love just um, helping people that have pain every day, like physical pain. I just like helping them feel better. Yeah. And like it would kind of tie to the amount of different physical, emotional, different pain that you've gone through. Like Yeah, totally. I think anybody that has... Uh, a lot of pain or experience a lot of pain in their lifetime wants to find some way to help others not yeah. hurt yeah and I think I, I, I this is a realization I probably had over the last year and this is kind of my way of trying to help people not hurt I like it so now to drop the bomb on the kidney failure mm-hmm. so tell me more um yeah so to take it back I was on dialysis there and um I got a call so I was I started dialysis I was on dialysis for under a year which is nearly unheard of I, I do anybody listening that's I do understand how short of a time frame that was to be on dialysis and especially because I got a deceased donor transplant not a living donor transplant um, so I was just hanging out one day I was going to go grab a workout at Evolve downtown and 
I got a call from a doctor who was really chill and calm and just like, yeah, I think we have one here for you. Uh, we're going to have to just do a couple more tests. and So uh, we're going to let you know. You're just talking to me. And uh, they told me at the very beginning, like one day you're going to get a call. It might be at three in the morning. It might be at six at night. And you're just going to have to drop everything and go to the hospital. But the doctor was so nonchalant on the phone. I didn't really understand. And then I was like, wait a minute. Are you saying that I have to go to the hospital for a transplant right now? And he said, yeah, this is that call. And so it was uh, August 23rd or something like that uh, in 2018. And so I got to the hospital and on the 25th of August, um, I went in in the early morning and I had a transplant. And uh, that was, uh, so they, they, with a kidney transplant, a lot of people don't know much about it. They tend to leave the native kidneys where they are. So they're kind of situated behind your ribs and it's a little bit more of a medically complicated process to go and get those. So unless they really need to, they don't. Um, so my, my new kidney is on the front side, um, just underneath my, uh, my abs and it's attached to my right psoas, so on, on top of my hip flexor. And uh, that happened in August and I, the one thing about the kidney failure that probably everybody after transplant is going to say is I didn't know how sick I was until I had a better state of existence to compare it to because the, the decrease in kidney function was so long, like it took 15 years to go from 40 to 10. Um, so it wasn't like one day I just woke up and I was like, wow, do I fail? Do I feel like crap? It wasn't like that at all. It was just like such a slow decline and, and kind of just like one, you know, it was varying levels of suck. You know, sometimes it sucked a lot. Sometimes it sucked a little bit. It always just kind of sucked. Um, but then about a month after the transplant, once the, the kind of all the anti-immunosuppressive drugs of kind of my body started to get used to that stuff, it was like I had the worst hangover that you can imagine having. And then you've had that hangover for 10 years. Okay. And so then, you know, two or three years into that hangover, you don't remember what, you know, you don't remember that you're hungover. You're just kind of living life. Um, and then, so then a number of years later, you wake up one day and that hangover is gone. And it was just amazing. The clarity of thought, uh, the ability in, to move and the energy I had and to even just like articulate words. Like I didn't know they talk about a brain fog, uh, when you have kidney failure, because basically your blood is full of urea. So it's full of pee. So your brain doesn't function so good if there's no oxygen and just a bunch of pee floating through your blood. Um, but I didn't really realize that until I could actually stop and think. And I'm like, wow, I can say with these words, these these things come to mind so much easier. It's un it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's cool. And, you know, for some people, like, I, I tend to have a very relatable jargon that I go through. Like, I'll, I can use big words, but I also use some small words. And I'm just trying to, again, put myself in your shoes and I'm like, okay, um, best case Ontario, use a bunch of trailer park analogies. And it's just like, for, for someone like yourself, because you are very well-spoken, there would be certain words that wouldn't even pop into your head that all of a sudden the next day as the brain is functioning more because yeah. it's words that you're more commonly using, Yeah. then you would go, oh my goodness, this makes life so much easier. Yeah. Okay. You. Yeah. That makes. That's good. I'm glad that you understood that. I wasn't sure if I was doing a good job no, explaining like you, that. No. You painted the picture. <laughs> I probably made myself sound a little bit dumb. Like I'm also very academic. I just talk different. That's all. No, that's fair. <laughs> but no. Like I can totally appreciate what you got out of that. Like for it being such a big part of your identity, and then all of a sudden you get that, and you're actually able to like own it, because yeah. I imagine you've spent a lot of time like reading through books to accumulate that knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And it's gotta be frustrating to be like, well, 
I read it. Like, why isn't it sticking? Like, mm-hmm. is that sort of the process that happened? Yeah, and there's also so I also have ADHD, and so like the, the you know losing your phone, wallet, and keys, you don't really lose anything. You just put them somewhere and you can't find them. Um, that is there's a thing called they called kidney brain. So again, because there's a bunch of pee floating around in your blood, um, your short term memory goes to garbage. Um, so I have ADHD plus that. So it was awful. Like I would, I would need to come back into the house because I forgot my phone. And then I would need to come back into the house again because I forgot my wallet or, and it wasn't even just like once a day or it was like all the time. And like my girlfriend would say something to me and then she'd bring it up an hour later. And like, it was every single day, like those typical things that girls kind of get annoyed about guys. They don't listen. They don't forget. But it was like full time all the time. And like, I just, she was upset. I'm like, I'm so sorry that I don't, I'm not trying to be a dickhead here. Like it just, I can't, I just, it's not staying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you navigate that? Because, like, I'm sure it's, like, some things would have gotten better and then some things would have just kind of been the way they've always been. A lot of alarms on phones. Okay. Uh, a lot of alarms on phones. So, like, I'd probably have, like, different alarms to take medication, to, to do the dishes, to do this or that. And, like, um, on top of, like, my clients. Like, I had almost my entire days mapped out, whether I was working or not, just so I would be able to know, okay, yeah, this is what I got next, like... And then it was it was a little bit more helpful, but I mean there was a certain degree of like there was a diminishing rate of returns on things I could do to help that. Yeah. So it was just kind of had to live that way for a bit there. If you had anybody like listening to this podcast, I guarantee you there's going to be at least a few people living as trainers with ADHD that'll listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, what advice would you have for them? One of the things I realized most recently um, is you have to accept it. So I've spent the last little while feeling like every day it's a, it's a Luke versus Luke situation and I take L's every day. There's too many L's in there to think of those. But anyway, it's like a lose every day because I'm going to forget something. Something's going to go wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to spend money on lunch because I forgot my meal prep at home, like something like that. And I would get upset at myself for it. I'd be like, ah, I'm such an idiot. Why would I, why can't I just remember? It's like, it's just my wallet or something like that. But coming to a point of acceptance, um, now I've been trying the last like week or two here. I've been trying, I just have a chuckle. I'm like, yeah, forgot the keys again. Like, and I just like, that's me. I'll even say that out loud. That's me. And uh, so try to give myself another 10, 15 minutes on top of the extra 10 or 15 minutes I already give myself, you know? Like if I won't, uh, if I say I'm going to be there in half an hour, um, I now say I'm going to be 45 minutes. Because I'm probably going to just get distracted or yeah. forget something. Yeah. And I just have to, you know, you can take medication, you can put things in place, but, you know, that's me. My brain runs around on a million miles a minute and uh, I just have to work with that and learn to work with that. Yeah. That's probably what I would say, number one, is just accept it. And as soon as you can accept it, you can begin to kind of position your plan around that. Yeah, like, what what can you do? That's that's the way it is. Own it. Mm, exactly. So hopefully everybody out there is owning it too. Um, so I want to talk about last week because I that's kind of what uh, made me pull the trigger on having you on here. Yeah. It, uh, it kind of, I knew your story. I knew you lived a tough life. And I was like, no, no, he needs one more obstacle. So I'm sorry, <laughs> we'll knock on wood. No more obstacles Jesus, for yeah. you. Let's live a nice, serene, calm life from this point forward. Yeah. But what happened? Like, what led up to it? Okay. What was it like? So a longtime friend of mine had uh, gotten himself kind of stranded and stuck uh, in Winnipeg. 
and needed a ride home. And um, so I moved a couple of my clients around and I decided to go and get him because he was going to pay me $500. Uh, and I was driving a 2013 uh, Fiat 500 Abarth. So it's just a little Fiat 500, but it's the one with the turbo and it's a little bit faster, but it's just a tiny little car. I was like, yeah, that thing's basically electric. I'll probably spend 150 bucks on gas and I'll pocket the rest. Like, sure, let's do it. Um, so I went out there on uh, last Sunday night and I slept in the car for most of the night in Saskatchewan and then I drove to Winnipeg, picked up my friend, uh, we started heading out again to Edmonton at night and I slept for another two different times of about two to three hours each time. Um, it was just car sleep though and, and in like a bucket seat so it wasn't you know super restful sleep. Um, we're about three hours north of uh, Winnipeg and it's about 6.30 in the morning and I'm driving along and I fell asleep. Uh, I woke up as uh, to an impact and the sunroof was shattering as it was doing a board slide across the road. Um, and I looked over at my friend terrified. We did a number of flips, rolls, whatever. And then it was a steep ditch. So we didn't just roll into the ditch. We rolled off the road and landed in the ditch. Um, and uh, about halfway through that, I had kind of realized what was going on and I tucked my chin and I pushed my head back into the seat so I could kind of protect my spine. It was almost instinctive. And then as we kind of rolled to a stop, I wiggled my fingers, I wiggled my toes, I felt my scar on my kidney and uh, I, I figured I was all right. I looked over at my passenger and I knew it was an inappropriate question to ask if he was okay. So I asked if he was alive uh, because he was very clear that he was not okay. And he kind of, you know, gave me a gesture that, yeah, he was in fact alive. And so uh, by the grace of God, I just unbuckled my seatbelt and I got out of the car as if, um, as if nothing had happened. And uh, I looked up and what had happened is we had collided with the back of a grader, uh, the left back tire of a grader at probably a hundred kilometers an hour, maybe just, just below that. Um, and so I ran up to the road to flag people down to get an ambulance called. Somebody else said that there was, the car was smoking. Did you have another passenger in there? And I said, yeah, we got to get him out. So I ran over and my friend's legs were stuck inside the car. Uh, it had kind of folded around him and I was, I was terrified. I thought his legs were shattered. Um, and uh, so I asked him if I, I moved his legs a little bit, asked him if it hurt. He said no, pulled him out, laid him down in a blanket and ambulance came and got us. And we went to the hospital. He's doing okay? Uh, you know, he's pretty infirmed. Uh, at this present moment, there's a lot of guilt on my behalf. Um, he's got a long road of recovery ahead of him, but he's not paralyzed and he is still with us. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I like, I have to preface, like, I, I don't mean to like make you talk about all these shitty things that happen, but I think one of the most important things about having a podcast is almost giving people like hope like you get a guest like yourself that despite all these things like you're you're navigating your way through there's no like there's no answer key to life no like no, it just not. throws things at people and like i've had guests that have battled like rare diseases and overcome cancer and ms like all these different yeah. obstacles that come up we lose people in our lives there's so many things and sometimes you just have to learn that life life isn't all that it's cracked up to be like it it should be enjoyed mm -hmm. and the moments should be savored and like memories should be made and loved ones should be loved but sometimes shit happens and it just goes crazy mm -hmm. so then what do you do 
so that brings us to the next thing like what what did you do like you you had your weekend like i know that you spent a lot of time just kind of like soaking it in or yeah so i mean i got home um on wednesday night and uh, i just slept thursday and i wanted to go to work friday because you know i need to work and i have clients that need my attention and whatnot and um, but I was honestly like, there's, there's definitely a little bit of trauma that happened there. And I've been getting a couple flashbacks of what happened and the guilt is real. Like, you know, whether or not it was intentional and whether or not, uh, you know, I, you are responsible for the lives that are in your vehicle. And, uh, that's been weighing pretty heavy on me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I've kind of just been taking it easy. I've been focusing a little bit more on my work today. I was, I kind of just dove into some stuff on my computer that I was a little bit behind on to have something to focus on yeah um and i'm dealing with it as it comes you know i'm going to see my my uh, my therapist tomorrow and i'm my friend is like we're talking we're joking we've made a couple of dark jokes about it and laughed about it a bit so there's no blame there like he's he's made it clear to me that he blames sorry i'm going to be blaming myself more than he blames me um which which is good i think i'd rather have it that way yeah um but you know as you say life goes on well, I mean, in communication too, like I'm a big advocate for communication in anything. And just imagine if all that happened, then you felt so guilty that you couldn't talk to him again. And then that's just how life unfolded. But yet you found a way to talk to him. Like that's, that's a great thing because despite all of life's obstacles, if you find your ride or die people, like mm-hmm. I imagine this guy's your homie. Yeah. So from way back. So that's pretty cool to like be able to you can be like we went through that together we yeah. made it yeah well yeah him and i have been through some shit for sure um and, and yeah that's it uh, it's it's a hard i'm calling him every day and it's it's uh it's not a hard thing to call him because i don't want to talk to him it's a hard thing to call him because of how guilty i feel every time i hit that call button and I just to check up on him make sure that he's doing all right if there's anything i can do you know with my limited reach he's in winnipeg i'm in edmonton um but uh it's, you know, I, I, I'm not going to just kind of shy away from what happened. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what's changed since then? Like, you've probably kind of reassessed a few things. Yes, sir. Uh, number one, I got closer to God. I was brought up a Roman Catholic, um, and I've definitely strayed away from that over the years, especially kind of drifting into the path that I drifted into. Um, I won't go too deep into it, but I mean, I, I really don't believe that that could have happened with, without some divine intervention. There was just so many of those details could have been minutely changed to convert Luke Perry to liquid form all over that highway and that would have been the it you know there would have been no podcast today um so I just that was one thing um another thing is, is life is so precious my grandma always said that to my son when, when he was younger and I never really understood um but like because you know every moment in time is never going to be repeated you know like this moment that we're having right here is never going to be repeated um, and that car accident, you know, the fact that we lived and that, that situation is never going to be repeated. And if, if something were to just cause it to end, which it very well can, you know, like we need to kind of enjoy, don't forget to live along the way. Yeah. So every week, what are three things? And I call these like non-negotiables, but what are three things that have to happen in your life to make it feel like, yes, we are doing our very, very best. I need to have some good sessions with my clients uh, and make sure that I feel like we're all making progress. Um, I need to spend time with both my son and my cat. Those are two both uh, very important things. Um, 
and just uh, make, to maintain the relationships of those around me. I, uh, I always felt it was really important that, uh, to maintain relationships with family and with a select few friends. And, you know, there's studies, a lot of studies out there that say that, you know, happiness is equated to the relationships that you have, not the money, not the success. You know, old people that are still happy and live long have a lot of friends, like yep. true good friends. Yep. And, uh, and I, I like to live by that too. I agree. Just don't forget to live along the way. So when it comes to like connecting with friends, what's your favorite way to connect with friends? Um, well, fitness has been a big part of that. So a number of my friends, uh, one in particular, we've always had different training regimes together and working out has always been a, uh, a neat thing. Like he, he works in investment banking now, but he could very well, I, I'm sure he could go and challenge his CanFit test and pass it just because of how much info I've shared with him over the years. Um, hanging out, just, uh, I, I do like smoking marijuana, um, in the evening times. And that's, uh, that's a nice come down, wind down from the day, hanging out with your friends. Um, and then something that might've been changing for me here is I, I'm a car guy. I love cars. I've had a lot of cool cars in my uh, few years and, um, I enjoy driving them, enjoy looking at them, enjoy talking about them. Um, I don't, I enjoy breaking them, but I don't know how to fix them. Uh, and so that's been something too. I, you know, my friends, a lot of my friends have nice cars and we like to get together and do car guy stuff. And I think the overarching theme is like you're going out of your way to actually see them in person, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that whole, um, the technology thing, it's like, it's, it keeps you further away from people that are important to you. Yeah. Um, and I've even, even for applying for jobs or anything really, like if, if you have an option to call in or go in, if I have the time, 10 times out of 10, I will go in because I just, I think it's more memorable to have an interaction with a person than, than send in an application or just speak to somebody on the phone like at the post office even or anything I just I prefer to have that interaction well even with just like health in general like I think people need to feel connected they need to have someone that is like willing to listen to like what's going on hear them out make that time like talk through the alarms all these different things that kind of like stir up the routine mm -hmm. and just like just be there and not be so like attached to like I know how much convenience our devices bring us I know how much time I personally spend on oh, social media awful. but then I also know that I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I didn't have like one-on-one -on -one time with so many different people like the crazy thing is it's kind of like a social experiment I've been doing this podcast and I think I counted up like 65 different guests in the last year okay and then on top of that, all the different coffee meetings. Because every so often I'd be like, okay, uh, who wants to meet up? And like people would take me up on it. And like I'm not selling them anything. Like 90% of the time, they're never going to hire me as a trainer for the simple premise that like they're usually just another trainer. Mm. Or it's like somebody that uh, they're fine, they're set, they don't need a trainer. Like there is absolutely no reason for them to need guidance from me. And it's just like you're just talking just to talk. I love that. Um, I was speaking to somebody actually just before this and I told her that I was getting on to a podcast and she said that she didn't understand how, why trainers get together and talk about things with each other and, um, and why they're so friendly with each other because they're all in competition with each other. And I, I, I honestly don't believe that. Like no. we, 
we all are so different as human beings and trainers are a dime a dozen man you throw a rock into a room of 20 people it bounces off three personal trainers um so and like every person that we have as clients is a unique individual relationship that's it's just so much different it's not just not just fitness and it couldn't exist without that relationship and we just as trainers get together and talk about how to make our own businesses better and yeah i I don't i honestly don't feel like i'm in competition with really anybody at evolve like we're up it's all just one big family yeah and it's hard to I, i know that i'm very new in business and i don't really understand a lot about business and probably to business people that doesn't make any sense but uh it it seems to work well i think you're on the right page like you can't who are you if you're trying to hold people around you back like what what does your essence amount to if all you want to do is pull people down the tunnel to get up the tunnel like we're all just going to be rats at the bottom of the tunnel at the end of the day Mm -hmm. If everybody's working together to elevate the people around them, then people are more likely to rise up. Like, I work in the same gym as Andrew Coates. Granted, he has years and years of experience, so 90% of the time people are going to be like, well, Andrew probably knows the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But, like, him and Dean Guido and Dean Somerset and John Chung, they, like, put together the Evolve Strengths yeah, this weekend. And, like... That is something where it could be like, I could be like, oh, wow, like, I don't know, that's an Andrew Dean thing, and like, mm. I'm not going to go, but like, they did something to make me better, to make all kinds of other people better, Yeah. because it's like that whole idea, like, look, like, they, they could, like, come up with some mastermind thing and keep it secret and then they would only get the information right but yeah, these masterminds. <laughs> they, they have their podcasts and it kind of inspired my podcast and they cool. talk about like making other people better through yeah. knowledge and through connecting people with other people who want to make people better so yeah like it's that's the big idea and i think anybody who thinks oh well i gotta cut down this guy to make me better well they're it's just they're not playing the long game yeah and like my clients could get value from things that you say your clients could get value from things that i say our clients could get value from things that anybody says like a brand new trainer fresh out of a weekend warrior course probably has one thing yeah to say that's gonna stick absolutely and like there's i have nothing against any certification as long as the person is ethical and willing to put in the work to make it happen because like if if you don't know your craft then it's just not going to work it's too tough of an industry Mm -hmm. because like i mean granted like i did some of the nate courses i did the canfit i did the mike boyle cert so a person would be like oh well we can worry you're making fun of that hey well it's like but then i also spent a ton of time on continuing education spend some time with like just shadowing trainers for like months Mm -hmm. and so it's just like everybody has their own path everybody has their own roadmap there's no like template to anything it's you get what you put in in life in the training industry in friendships relationships everything Mm -hmm. i kind of went off on a tangent that's all right i'm following (laughs) i'm following i'm not disagreeing with anything good 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 i like i like to put things on the table so that uh Maybe somebody that needs to hear something hears it and they go, oh, well, I feel a little bit better now, you know? We all get there. I've been there a lot recently and I've been talking to people who have said, 
you know, that I, over the years, I've inspired them to do things. And people that I didn't even know were talking about me, you know, or, or following my work or what I was doing. And it's just like, that's, that's what I'm doing this for. Because, you know, God knows personal training is not a million dollar job. Um, but, you know, we do this to help people. And if we can change lives and help people change their behavior or change their, their way of thinking to better themselves, that's, that's what we're all in this for. My theme of the day, because I just have found a lot of people are pretty hard on themselves, especially with this weather. I don't know what it is, mm. but it's just been like somebody out there thinks you're awesome. Like for yeah. you, your son thinks you're awesome. Yeah. Like no matter what day it is or what you fed him for food, mm-hmm. he thinks you're awesome. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes we have to reflect on that. Um, I think probably a lot of the people that you think think poorly probably think highly and that goes for anybody listening to this I think it's kind of like how we talked about how uh, nobody cares well nobody cares about the things that we're condescending towards ourselves about you Mm -hmm. know like they don't care that we think so poorly of ourselves they care about the things that are memorable and how we make them feel they care about that nice thing that we said the first time that we met them or they care about how we the things that we're passionate about that's that's what they care about yeah yeah. so it's like focusing on the positive as you do so well i I do try (laughs) (laughs) so in the next like year what's like something big and exciting that you're looking forward to for yourself like a holiday or just like a little goal or just something well um i started working with uh someone in edmonton here kyle smith is his name and he's got a, a business coaching program and I've started that and I'm excited to get going and really learn a bit more about the marketing and the business end of things because um, if you've ever read the book The E-Myth, there's uh, basically the premise is there's three different types of people in each, in each person that's running a business and um, one of them is a technician, right? So that's in this instance, that's the trainer, that's the thinking about physiology, anatomy, this kind of stuff. And I feel like I've done a fairly reasonable job at acquiring knowledge there and I can help people with what I already have, but if I don't know how to sell myself, and I don't know how to adequately kind of keep up with the, the marketing of today, then I'm not gonna be able to help anybody. Um, and so that's what I'm looking forward to, is kind of developing my knowledge in that realm of, uh, of our careers, and then uh, hopefully expanding my reach a little bit more to, to a wider audience. I like it, that's a good one. So um, that's pretty much it. That's all the, the questions that I have for you. I think I basically like, made you talk and think about all the toughest things that have ever happened in your life and for that I feel a little bit bad but (laughs) we're still we're still bros so we good we good well there's that thing about vulnerability right and I I felt like I I don't like to kind of display that over my social media accounts but I think if someone invites me to do a podcast then it's it's should be guilt-free game to talk about stuff like that so I I didn't mind opening up either. Sweet. And I appreciate that. And I hope that the right people hear the right episode at the right time. And as always, I encourage people to listen to more than just this episode. Check out the other ones. But without further ado, we will sign off. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. I don't know what else I need to do to really validate the importance of being grateful for things like we're not all dealt the same cards we don't all have the same outcomes but there's no reason why anybody can't think of five things 
that make today great. And it could just be that you cooked your rice perfect. It could be that the sun went up. It could be that uh, you had water. Or it could be that you had a good sleep. Just come up with your five things and remember them. Because sometimes that's the things that keep you moving forward. Thanks for listening. Hope you listen to some more.